Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Writer's Advice Podcast. I am here with another fabulous, fabulous interview with you guys, um, not with you guys, for you guys today, um, with a fabulous author that you are about to meet. But firstly, I want to thank our sponsor um, for making this all possible, Booksprout. So Booksprout is my go-to platform when it comes to building um, your early reader list, so your ARC list, and getting your advanced reader reviews, which are so incredibly important when it comes to, literally when it comes to putting your book out there, people buy, buy, people do judge a book by its cover. So we initially get um, turned on by the cover and then we read a little bit of about the blurb and you know what we're emotionally invested yep this story sounds right up my alley and then we need to back it up by logic and that is where having reviews on your Amazon page or any or your Goodreads page backs up that logic for buying your book so getting your advanced reader copies are very very important um, make sure that you yeah check out Booksprout because they are my go-to service for using them and if you're a writer listening into this, if you are working on a project right now or you want to get started on your first book, then I highly recommend going to Amazon or you can go to my website, oliviahillier.com and checking out the Writer's Journal. This is your new best friend, your new favorite little sidekick that you want to take everywhere with you to have the most seamless process when it comes to writing your story and getting all your ideas out onto paper before you hit the keyboard but not only just getting them out onto paper but having them all in one place the writer's journal literally helps you go through your protagonist getting to know them like there's no tomorrow as well as um your supporting characters and then it asks you questions about how to really get the best out of these people and you're going to know them more deeper than anyone else, which really creates 3D characters. It also helps you create your world, whether that is a real world, a fantasy world, it is going to help you set it up so you feel like you are completely immersed and in that place so you are ready to write and then putting it all together into your scenes and into your plot, your chapter outline. And most importantly, it helps you put together a structure for how you are going to write, where you are going to um, dedicate the time and commit so it is realistic and able to fit into your lifestyle, but also keep you accountable as well. And all of that is found in the writer's I was going to say the writer's advice journal. It's not the writer's advice journal, but it is for listeners of this podcast. It is the writer's journal by Olivia Hillier, crafting the story that you were born to create. Okay. That is all for me. That is all for me. Um, otherwise, if you're looking for a new read and you love uh, young adult sci-fi fantasy, my new series, The Dark Side Chronicles, are out. It is a twisted series. It is a twisted sci-fi fantasy, dark romance um, that explores all your favourite tropes of a completely fantasy world. We've got a whole new race in there that's kind of like vampires, but something a little bit different. Enemies to lovers. You've got a wild, the wildest love triangle that I have ever come across that I'm obsessed with it and I love these stories so much so 
um, book one is Black Blood. You can check that out on Amazon, on my website, and see what everyone else is saying on Goodreads as well. Okay, but, and that's enough about me, and that's enough about what I've got going on. Let's dive into this week's episode of The Writer's Advice and our interview with this incredible author. Writer's Advice is a point of connection, a dose of inspiration, and an insight into the creative process of the babes behind the books. I'm your host, Olivia Hillier. Each week, I'll be interviewing authors from around the globe on their creative process and how they got to where they are today and what it's really like inside the industry of publishing. So listen in, take notes, and I hope you walk away inspired, ready to take on the next level of your writing wherever you are in your journey. Welcome back to the Writer's Advice podcast, everyone. I am very excited because today I am joined by Melanie Sayward, who's hot on the debut of her, your, it is your debut book, Burn, which it I is. absolutely devoured. And there is so much to this that I want to go into. But uh, firstly, thank, thanks for being here, Melanie. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I want to go, there's so much I want to dive into this book and I I really want you to give like a full synopsis to to all the readers, but I want to start with how this came to be or when was the first moment where you're like, hey, I want to dive into writing and, and see where this journey takes me? Uh, oh, um, writing, I didn't really, I was always a very good writer and I always was a storyteller, you know, like a tall tale teller as a child. Um, but I, I didn't really seriously go down the writing trail until I was actually in my mid-20s and I had a marketing job and it was a full-time job. It was a good job. My parents were quite happy with me and I was doing a lot of copy writing for this job. It was with a pathology lab. So I was doing really fun things like writing about how to do a urine test and, you know, stuff like that. But I still really loved doing that and proofing yeah flyers and brochures and things but then in my spare time I was spending all my time on the internet writing fan fiction and I just thought I'm really good at this writing thing this is where I find my joy so I quit my full-time job I went overseas for a little while there's a bit of a gap in the middle there and then I applied for I actually applied for journalism at uni and I put creative writing as my very 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 last choice and that was just because my parents were very concerned that I'd quit a very good full-time job to go to university and that if I did creative writing that I might not come out with a job at the end so they thought journalism back in the day they thought journalism was a better career choice which you know is a bit funny yeah yeah I get it um but I didn't get it I got my last preference which was creative writing and I thought oh you know what like it's still going to help with my marketing copywriting so I I will just tell my parents I don't think I'm ever going to write a book I'm never going to win the Miles Franklin you know none of that's going to happen I'll just go and do creative writing and then I'll try and get a job afterwards so yeah that's that's sort of where it um came from but I just loved uni I loved pretty much every second of it you know except for the stress of the assignments but I just felt like I found my thing when I was there which is probably why I'm now teaching at the same university that I attended as an undergrad but um I yeah I loved loved being around books and writing and being able to talk about writing and actually being expected to produce 
multiple pieces of writing every semester and that was sort of the that was the start and it just it made me a writer yeah absolutely oh my god I love that and I also love how that was your last preference but that was what came through it's kind of like um hello meant to be I just there's those all those meant to be moments that I hear in people's journeys are just like everything I think it's yeah and then I took actually took in my must be my second year because you couldn't take any electives in first year but I took a journalism elective because I still thought at some point I was going to transfer into journalism even though I was loving myself sick in creative writing um so I took a journalism elective for my very first elective and I hated it like I hated every second of it and something happened with my writing it was like a feature writing class and you'd have thought that someone who'd done really well in creative non-fiction would have done really well in feature writing but for some reason you tell me it was a journalism some class and all the description went out of my writing and I just wasn't I wasn't good at it I wasn't good at writing quickly to deadline because that was part of the practice they did timed assessments I just I wasn't good at it so you're exactly right I fell into the thing I was supposed to and I just like to imagine that you know those sliding doors moments that there's probably another Melanie out there that did go into journalism and I betcha she went into journalism did one year and then took a creative writing elective and was like no no I'm transferring my degree and ended up in the same place (laughs) oh my gosh I love that I love that so much and I also love because there's so much to this right I um when I I finished school I was like yeah cool I want to get into create I didn't study creative writing but I wanted to get into like the creative side of things at the time and I just thought that that would come through journalism I did my first I did like I think I went to like my first class and the lecturer was like if you want to be creative you need to leave now (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) I did I didn't like I didn't do much more after that first semester I dropped out but um it's, I find it really interesting on how, because I've had a lot of jur- like journalists on too that move into this style, this style, and most of them say the same. It's like, you know, you start or you go into journalism to be the the logical way. Okay, that's what I'm. Mm. That's how I'm going to get a job. But, mm. um, you know, there's like so many gifts and also work that comes with creative writing that you can definitely make real and create money from like if there's someone that's kind of sitting there right now listening to this being like oh what do I do I you know I can't there's I feel like there's a lot of creative blocks when it comes to okay can I make this a career what kind of advice yeah. would you would you give for that uh if there's there's lots of different things you can do with a creative writing degree for me um I decided probably about a third of the way through um, that I was definitely going to go after work in the publishing industry, which again might make people go, oh, you quit a marketing job to go into publishing. Um, yeah, so I, I went after publishing. You certainly can go after publishing. I think um, for me, I, I did get into publishing eventually. Um, I had to do postgraduate studies to get into publishing and editing as well I think that might be changing a little bit now I've got a few students that um, have managed to come straight out of undergrad and and go into entry-level publishing jobs Um, so I think it does really depend on what you do extracurricular wise and what you do for um, at QT we have a situated creative practice um, over two semesters and we actually have an in uni um, magazine publication and that's where we're finding that students are getting this editorial marketing copywriting 
um, social media experience that's actually producing something that's read widely um, that then is giving them experience that the publishers are going oh actually we can take you straight out of school mm-hmm. now um, so I'm yeah I think it really depends on where you are you think about me I graduated in 2009 I was 27 and um, I I needed I had I had different expectations of what I wanted even though I was young I had different expectations of what I wanted so when I went to work in publishing I'd had a job where I'd you know made not a lot of money but a decent amount of money and then I'd gone to publishing and I'd sort of taken a pay cut I'd moved to Sydney which is a more expensive city than Brisbane um so I was working multiple jobs to live in a flat by myself because I didn't want to have housemates um, and, you know, like I've got arguments there, probably a totally different subject change, but I've got arguments there about how that shouldn't be the way things go. But yeah. if you're in your 20s, you know, you're 21, 22, out of uni, used to housemate, share, house living, kind of used to um, budgeting and living off the smell of an oily rag, which I think a lot of young people are and you shouldn't have to be, but I know that a lot of you are, then you might actually be okay with like stepping up and advancing with publishing as the salary goes but I took a pay cut and I found that really difficult um so that was one of the reasons why I didn't end up staying in publishing for I I was there for three and a half years and then and then came back to Brisbane to work in copy editing um but for people who don't get into publishing straight away there's heaps of stuff you can do you know if you want to work directly in relation to books you can go into book selling retail it's a really specialized field of um the industry and booksellers like they are angels on earth I've always thought this but now I have a book in shelves um in in stores I just I think even more um it's it's so specialized you get to go in and talk to people about books that they love and you know being able to go oh I saw this book on TikTok had a blue cover and then this on it and you know being up with what people are looking for enough to be able to go oh I know what book that is and and take them around um so yeah that's a really niche area of retail and it's a really great experience if you then do want to go into the publishing industry um and then and then there's like marketing and copywriting and all of those sorts of things Mm. I I I worry that those are things that we're going to lose with the AI stuff that's coming in, but good human writing is um, kind of irreplaceable, I hope, and and there's, and there's work to be done there. Um, yeah, so I was in corporate writing and marketing for a really, really long time. The medical industry, um, I started there before uni. I went back there after I'd worked in publishing. There's money to be made. Um, there's really interesting things to do and actually for a little while that was perfect for me because I was writing and the difference between being an editor or working in the publishing house where you're surrounded by books and things like that's a joy it's lovely let's not lie about that that part's really great Um, but if you wanted to then go home and work on your own book you had to be really sure that you weren't taking other people's words because you were so uh, deep in their work and sometimes it was really hard to keep that creative brain because you had to use your creative brain at work so if you know you're in a big corporate marketing office writing copy about 
how people do a urine test, that's not creative at all. Um, and and so then coming home and being able to spend, you know, an hour on the computer doing a bit of writing um, feels really refreshing or or it's something that you can really easily do in the morning before you go off to work. So, yeah, there's heaps of things you can do with a writing degree. And, and I think about like another bit of advice I would give is think about what sort of person you are because I quite like being around creatives all the time and I find that really inspiring. But I know other people think I need to go to work and do my job and then come home and do the thing that I do for pleasure. So, you know, knowing what sort of a worker and writer you are will help you use your skills as a writer in your day job as well. Oh my gosh, a hundred percent. You that you've just said so much goodness in there. Like it's it's it's, it's true though, because it's getting to like there's so many. Everyone's different, right? It's like getting to know what works best for you. And I've spoken to so many authors too who were like have had been in that creative industry where it's like I actually had to go to somewhere where I wasn't using that brain so Mm -hmm. I can give that back to myself. So because you know we only have a cup so big, you have to. And if you're wanting to, you know, work on your own things, and then that's um a great bit of advice. Yeah, and I freelance edit not as much as I used to, um, but I do find I prefer to proofread now because mm-hmm. it's um, it's more technical than doing a copy edit or a structural edit, which is using your creativity. Um, but I did a big structural edit last year and it was a nonfiction book, but it was still one with a really nice creative sort of structure to it. Um, and I absolutely could not work on my own stuff the whole time I was working on that book. And and that is the that is the compromise. Whereas in a classroom, I'm quite happy to go in a classroom and talk to my students about editing or um, putting together a short story. And actually I've come home after I've given them a lesson on short story and we've talked about a story and I've come home and bashed out one myself. Um, so that's very inspiring, but I think it's because it's different sort of creativity yeah. um, and and it's sparking creativity in a different way. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's like finding that balance between like, you know, yeah, getting that spark but not being burnt out by it. Like there is a fine line of how much you can do, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Now I need to know throughout this journey of yours, how did burn start? Where did <laughs> Where did this story begin? I'm obsessed. There's so many layers to it. If you could <laughs> yeah. just tell us. Yeah, how it started for you um, and then give us a little bit of a synopsis of the book as well. Okay, so it's it started in two places. There's two, it has two beginnings really as a story. Um, the first beginning is that it was a short story that I've worked on again in my creative writing degree. Um, I was doing fine arts. The fine arts writing students had a concentrated stream at the end. It's changed a little bit now in that same degree, but um, in our second semester, we took a class where you had to produce a suite of short stories or an extract from a novel. And I still found novels quite intimidating at that time. Um, And so I did a suite of interconnected short stories and they were uh, centred around an incident and it was caused an incident that Andrew, who's the protagonist of Burn, caused. Um, Originally, it was him throwing rocks at bus windows and causing a bus crash. And um, and that happened because I lived in Brackenridge, which is where Burn is set. And um, it was a big thing that was happening at the time. I was catching the bus to and from uni 
and kids were throwing eggs at um at the buses and one night in the middle of writing the story actually some kid threw a egg at the window and it hit right where I had my head which I was like oh "Oh my god this story is gonna be something um and it and it was I was right it did sort of turn into being something the rest of the stories were a little bit rubbish um I published one of them in the uni magazine but I wouldn't publish Andrew's story because I just had a feeling that there was something more to Andrew and I I couldn't shake it. I got, you know, better feedback from my peers and from my tutors on Andrew's story. I got to sit down with Anita Heiss as part of my final year stuff. I just got a one-on-one with her and she read the story and said, I think this is a novel. And she, I don't know if she remembers that actually, I'd love to ask her. Um, And then and then I did 20 pages in 20 minutes, which was a festival event at Brisbane Writers Festival. Where you got 20 to... pages in 20 minutes? Yeah. So you pre-sent these 20 pages off oh, to okay. the Brisbane Writers Festival and then you got a 20-minute sit-down and analysis of your 20 pages from someone who worked in the publishing industry. Oh, okay. And... I thought as you were going to be like, I wrote 20 <laughs> no. Oh, no, no, no. Um no, <laughs> I'm fast, cool I'm not that, that fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, you know, part of me did that because I wanted to work in publishing and I wanted to sit with someone who worked in publishing. I didn't really care about getting this story through. But the person that I got, um, she also said, there's a novel in this story. And so that was three times I'd been told. Um, so when I finished uni, I sat down and expanded the story out and, and played around with it um, a little bit. And it turned into this thing about this kid who lit fires and um, he was lighting fires and throwing rocks originally. Uh, And then a few years later, I was trying to expand this sort of 50,000 words that I had. I knew it was not quite there yet and trying to work out what wasn't working and what was. And I was up at Mount Cutha, which for people who don't live in Brisbane is mountain in Brisbane where you get really beautiful views over Brisbane city um and I took a friend up there who was from Canada and we went up just to have a look which I was laughing at myself because it was something my dad would take people to do and I was like this is really silly I don't know how interested you are but let's go and do this and it was in the middle of um total fire ban time there'd been a scrub fire I think in Mount Cuthra around the time and it was like January or February it was 40 degrees constantly it was one of those awful awful summers where everything was a tinderbox um and uh they turned they'd even like turned the barbecues off and like roped the barbecues off in the picnic areas because it was so volatile that you know a single spark could set the whole bush off um and and obviously there's a lot of houses around that area too so I taken my friend up there and we walked up to the from the car park and there was a bunch of kids um with some sticks and they were trying to light fires by rubbing them between their hands and there was there was I can't obviously I don't know exactly but from what it, an outsider's perspective it looked like it was a group of um black and white kids and I thought oh this is really interesting right because um, number one why are they doing this these are teenage boys where are their parents who's watching them how can they not know how dangerous what they're doing is right now 
uh, especially where we are. And also, why is no one stopping to say anything to them? I didn't say anything to them either. Um, And then as we were up on the lookout, I just couldn't shake the feeling. I was like, but also if someone did say something to them or they did start a fire, um, who's going to get in the most trouble and, um, and, and what are the implications for that? And I thought, oh, okay, this is, this is actually the answer um, to what's going on in Bern. Um, Andrew had set fires in the original draft, but the central um, problem, the central incident had been this rock hitting a bus window. And I went, actually, that's so uninteresting compared to why does he set fires? And so the central incident then became this Brackenridge scrub fire that he set um, yeah, so that's where that's where I got to that. So it took it took a while, and I think many iterations to get there. Which, again, for people who are listening who want advice from a writer, sometimes that first thing is not the thing, right? And I was convinced that the rock hitting the bus window was the most interesting thing about it, and it's still in the book. I've I've managed to keep it in there. Um, but it, it's not the most interesting thing about Andrew and it's not where the most interesting questions are about why he does what he does. Yeah, absolutely. And it is so, like, I'm, I was, I was page turning to me because I have spent a lot of my life in both of these places. <laughs> I just felt <laughs> like I was completely there in it and like surrounded by the whole story and just, and yeah, I felt like I was just like a silent observer of, of the whole <laughs> family. But um, I, I, there's so many layers to it and you see it. You also, the way it's read, I feel like so many people can see it from every perspective, but also unless I read your author's note, I would be so naive that this wasn't how we were already dealing with things. Mm. And I feel, and I, that author, as soon as I read that page afterwards, it was like full body goosebumps because I was like, you have just, and I'll get, let you go and not, obviously not give anything away. <laughs> That's really um, hard, would, isn't it? Not to give it but away. But going to a little bit of a synopsis, everyone just read it. I, I highly recommend it. But um, <laughs> there's, Anyway, there's there's a scenario in the book where I that I thought was how the current situation would be, and I was so naive to realize that it wasn't. And I was like, "You have created something that is so well done that I'm like, this is such a bigger conversation." Which I think to put when people do that in fiction, it's like gold to me. I'm like, this is <laughs> like well, this is like world changing stuff, right? And I'm like, I absolutely just love it how people can. That's the impact of of fiction, which I absolutely love, obviously, other than just general enjoyment. But um, mm. the research that's gone into this, <laughs> tell me what that was like. Was Yeah, what, tell me the, the – give, give us a little bit more of a synopsis of Andrew's sure. story and then go into a little bit of the research as well. Yeah. So Ben is it's kind of an adult, young adult crossover. So in your bookshops, you might find it shelved in YA, which is totally fine. Um, it, but it is readable by adults. It probably was aimed at adults um, in the first place, but it does have a young protagonist, Andrew. He's 16 years old. That's the main storyline. Um, and he's in Brisbane in, a, in the Brackenridge, which is a northern suburb of, of Brisbane. Um, and it, it's, it used to be quite well known for being a suburb that was very housing commissioned and quite rough um, and, and it and it was sort of coming out of that around the time that I'd written it. Um, so it's a sort of a mix of 
young families, um, people moving into the area, building houses, that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, very big mix of people. Um, and, and this story is set around a bushfire that happens in the scrub. Um, there's lots of nature areas in Breckenridge and it's uh, set by uh, juvenile delinquents. So young boys set these um, fires um, and, and they've set it on the way home from a party one night. And they're not really sure which of the three boys set the fire because they were all mucking around with lighters at the time doing various teenage boy things like burning smiley faces into each other's arms and um, smoking joints and you know just being general um, hoodlum teenagers and not thinking about the consequences but Andrew is sure that he is the one that set the fire because he has a history of setting fires um, and so the story is all about Andrew wrestling with whether he's okay with getting caught and whether he wants to get caught or not. And he talks a big game most of the way through about wanting to get caught. And that's because he set catastrophic bushfires in the past. And when these things happened, his dad, who's quite absent from his life, had actually returned and paid attention to him. So it's almost like attention, attention seeking behavior, um, lighting fires. And the cause and effect is I do something wrong. Dad comes back. And, um, and that's kind of what he's looking for all the way through is, is more connection back to his dad. Mm, absolutely. It's a beautiful, but story. there is more going on. That's kind of like the top layer stuff. right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's beautifully layered. Like I feel like that's why you feel so like 3d with these characters. And I, I, I think it is more of an adult read. I actually love mm. those reads where you have a young ca- character that you can read as an adult. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And and I think you nailed it before when you said that you see as a reader, as an observer of what Andrew's doing, you put together more than he does. Like he's a, he's a teenage boy. He's kind of silly, right? He he just sort of has this tunnel vision, but you as the adult reader see much more and and that's what I set out to do I was really obsessed with books like I don't know if anyone will remember but there was this book maybe 10-15 years ago called Rocks in the Belly by John Bauer it did something similar with um an adult and a child protagonist so Byrne has Andrew as a 16 year old and then um as an eight-year-old and so it runs sort of concurrently and and John Bauer did something like that as well and I was really obsessed with the idea of um when he was writing the child's perspective that you could see how the child and what was happening to the child was shaping this kind of awful man that came about later on and that was the thing that I liked and there was there's there's been a lot of books um recently with those younger protagonists where you read it as an adult and go, oh, I, I, I see more than you see and I see how this is happening. And I think that's kind of cool. So that was what I always set out to do. But um, but they are telling me that um, the, the 16, 17-year-olds, you know, year 11s and 12s will, will probably like it too because it actually reads like an actual teenager, which is kind of cool to think. 
Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to love that too to get that feedback from the from from you know 16, 17 year olds reading yeah, your yeah, privacy yeah. perspective then too because it's like yeah yeah that's so great. But I definitely didn't want to make it twenty twenty three young adults because I definitely feel quite old compared to sixteen seventeen year olds now. Um, but I was more confident with the you know twenty eleven kind of kids. You know they were on the cusp of when I was still a young woman. So <laughs> I try to remember now. Is this dating? Like, do you have dates on the date? Yeah, yeah. There's dates. Yeah. There's dates in the in the heading, and that and that's that's really so that you you get the indication, um, particularly for um, Andrew as a, a younger boy, so when he's eight, because he sort of goes from eight to about sixteen or fifteen in um, in the younger person section too. So the time moves forward with him. Whereas um, the other section, the present section, is just in the matter of a couple of weeks at the end of school. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love this so much. And now you're saying this, I'm just thinking because there's so many aspects in it, like I feel like this could be a like curriculum book. I oh, like, so be, many things to, to like chat <laughs> about in it where I'm like this could actually be because there's, I mean, this has to be, if anyone's listening in with a writer's group uh, right now, oh, sorry, a reading group right now, a book a book club <laughs> definitely <laughs> grab it because there are so many aspects of this to like tear apart and like and get a full conversa- conversation of mm. and I feel like there's going to be bare uh, it's such a beautiful story but it could hit so many broad people of all different aspects yeah. different yeah. things yeah. that they they take from it which is absolutely beautiful and I absolutely love it but um yeah where do you see it going is there kind of a conversation that you wanted to have about this like what was the general intention overall yeah I did want to have a conversation about um youth justice in a little way I mean I don't um claim to be an expert I just feel like it's something that's quite often on my heart and 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 upsets me um you know like I I've I've heard people I, I keep telling people that I've seen it in you know Facebook groups and so on where people talk about all these kids out doing things, vandalizing, and you know, it's always the neighborhood groups where the most gross rhetoric is. And and then the the comments back are normally like, "I'll lock them up," or um, "Where are their parents?" and and those sorts of things. So I did kind of want to enter into a conversation about, um, you know, it sounds really heavy, but like to talk about intergenerational trauma and talk mm. about why we we might see Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander kids disproportionately locked up, particularly in Queensland at the moment where they're now being sent into watch houses um, with adult prisoners, which is absolutely terrifying. Um, and, and just to open up that conversation a bit, to say, actually, this is an ongoing effect of colonisation um, and, and let's have a discussion about why this is going on. And, it's, and a lot of the time, and you'll see it if you read the book, that also it's about his parents' trauma, you know, the fact mm. that they're not dealing with their own issues and that's because their parents probably weren't dealing with their own issues and, and certainly that's something that I... I can see in my own family um, the legacy of intergenerational trauma goes on and on and on. Even if the the aim is that we things get better for each generation that comes, you know, like I I'm definitely my grandparents' absolute wildest dream, and I know my sister is too. But then we are still coping with effects of some of the things that's been passed on through mm-hmm. us. So you know, for my my sister who has two kids, you know, my mind is on 
what are we passing to them and 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 what are they then going to pass on to their children so you know it's opening up those conversations why and maybe how we can do those big things like we talk about breaking the cycle and closing the gap and all of those sorts of things this is kind of saying this is maybe what happens if we do that but also this is maybe why some of these things happen and and the you know big central question for me in writing this was why do good kids do bad things because Andrew is um not it's not an argument to me that he has done some awful 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 things and he is a naughty kid but he is a naughty kid who is so deserving of love and and better for his world and in you know and I feel like he could be any one of you know hundreds of kids out there so yeah that that's kind of that's kind of where I wanted to go and like you said it's a huge huge topic of conversation and again I don't pertain to be an expert I'm just a fiction writer this is me asking a question and and answering it through story which is why it sort of you know, is a little bit fantastical um, towards the end. The things that are happening um, may not necessarily be true. This is a work of fiction and I think that's what we have to remind ourselves. And and that's another reason for the author's note too is to, to remind you that as real as this piece might feel, um, it's fiction. It's mm-hmm. it's not true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But everything that you're talking about right now, this is what I this is why I am obsessed with fiction like one because you're talking about all this stuff and you know we can have these conversations of these big topics but when you bring out something in a work of fiction that discusses these big topics it puts it in a way where people can kind of like take themselves out of the analytical way that we're talking about these things and actually see us I mean, it's a fictional story still, but it's, you know, yeah. a possible real life yeah. story yeah, yeah, yeah. able to yeah. feel and involve yourself in all the elements of that. And I think that just opens up people's minds in, in yeah. ways, which is, it's a, it's a gift to the world. So thank you. Oh, I mean, thank you. And you're going to have to have, so these, these conversations, I'm gonna, I was just, when you're talking about that, I'm like, the writers' festivals that are coming up, like I have no doubt that you are attending <laughs> yeah. a few of them having this this conversation. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I will. And look, I I don't mind having those conversations at all. Um, I I I want to defer to um elders who who know better and who are working really hard in this space. So, you know, if people want to actually um get involved or or do something that does create change you know there are organizations um like sisters inside which doesn't just deal with um women in prison it does deal with children in prison as well um and and you know like helping people actually be rehabilitated or giving some things back to mob um and they are always looking for donations for the work that they do so that's um sisters inside you can google them um and also uh looking at supporting um projects that that go into prisons that um actually you know are are working with with prisoners especially aboriginal and torres strait islander um people that are incarcerated so um auntie um now I'm going to stumble because I've made myself read it, but um, Arnie Barb Nicholson, who goes, she's a Wadi Wadi elder in um, uh, northern New South Wales, I want to say. I might be wrong there. Don't quote me on that. But she um, does, she's in her 80s and go, spends all of her time and her pension, her own pension, 
um, traveling to um, prisons to go in and um, help inmates write stories and, and she publishes them um, yeah. through South Coast Writers' Centre um, and they have a number of anthologies. The most recent one's called um, Sisters Inside and it's all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women. So, you know, like I, I guess I've got a voice now but um, I also just want to say I am just a fiction writer. There are people out there actually taking action and, and doing things. So if the story that people read makes people want to do things, then that those are places to look into um, as well. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for everything that you have shared with us today, Melody. You've given us so much great um, writing advice. And honestly, everyone that's listening into this, like grab yourself a copy of Burn. It is available now at all good bookstores. Um, if you're in Brizzy, you're out to sign some soon. So you might be able to pick up a... Yeah, there'll be signed copies <laughs> out and there's a little launch um, in a couple of weeks at Avid Reader and I'd love to see people there. Um, there's one, there's also, there's launches in New South Wales Um so there's one in Sydney and Melbourne and I'll be at Our Words Festival in Adelaide this coming weekend. So there's places to see me, maybe follow me on Instagram. I post all of those things. Yeah, How, where can people find you? What's your what's your tag? I'll put it in the show. My handle is Little Red Rights on everything. I'm not on Twitter anymore, but everywhere else I am. <laughs> awesome. I will put that all in the show notes. Thank you so Thank much, you. Melanie. Thank you. It's been great to chat to you.